Welcome to another episode in our limited series, The 12 Days of White Christmas. Over the course of 12 episodes, we will break down the 1954 holiday classic, White Christmas, the songs, the scenes, everything else that makes this movie a family favorite. I'm Roger. I'm Marcy. And uh, this is episode two of our series. It begins at 940 when Wallace meets up with Davis in the medical tent, and it runs until 2044 when Judy and Betty prepare to go on stage and impress the two gentlemen. (laughs) So, Do you write that yourself? That's not from IMDb? No, I write all of this content myself, Marcy. Do I I seem like a content recycler to you? No. However... um, that it just has the whiff of an IMDb whole movie synopsis in two I, lines or less. I am going to take that with the generous spirit with which it was offered. It's fantastic. Roger. There you go. Okay. You know, I was telling you before we got on the mic tonight that I don't, I don't, this does not seem like it's going to be the most uh, impactful episode. It's kind of like the episode before stuff really starts happening. Um, yeah. But well, there's no musical number in this one. That's not true, Marcy. We have a mon- musical montage. Oh to God, talk about. I don't count that because I think it's terrible. I don't we're, like that part. Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit at least. Um, okay. So we'll see how our ratings turn out. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about my man Danny Kay. It's time for us. We talked about Bing Crosby last time. It's time to delve into Danny Kay's career, but. Are you going to talk about the other star of this movie, Roger? Is that the woman with the legs? No, oh, but who's... I would like to talk to her about her as well. But the woman that says mutual, I'm sure. Oh, don't worry. We, like... Yeah, I feel like I feel like this this chunk of the movie has a lot of little tiny moments that are worth talking about. Just fantastic. You're right. um, let's start in the medical tent. Uh, this has got a this ha- <laughs> this has one of my favorite gags in the whole movie. Which is the part yeah. where, you know, after they wrap up their conversation, Danny Kay pulls his arm out of the sling to shake Bob's hand and then he like sticks it back in. Yeah. That's it's great. Why. It's also the worst sling in the world because it's just so like strap around his wrist. Oh, a medical and minute. If you remember from when Andrew broke his elbow, that sling needs to support from the elbow to the wrist in a, a a straight line of cloth. So this is even gaggy from the start where you're like looking at this guy who's injured and he's got this, the only part that's supporting the weight of his arm is at his wrist joint. Not the most quality GI medical care is what you're no, saying here. Unfortunately. Oh, it's a good thing he pulled through. Let's see. I like how Danny Kay is just, um, He's just such a great uh, physical actor throughout this whole movie. Like the way he moves and holds his body um, in all ways is really fun to watch. And this, you're right, is one of the best little gags in here. He's a, these two together, they're a little bit like, do you know, sort of like Martin and Lewis, like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis? Mm, just um, by name. I mean, Jerry Lewis is sort of like the wacky, crazy guy, like Danny Kaye in this movie. And then mm-hmm. Dean Martin is much more of sort of your, your straight man, your kind of uh, uh, the, the one who kind of sets up all the jokes and just kind of lets, lets, uh, Jerry Lewis go. And that's, I think you, I think you get a little bit of that in this movie. Yeah, for sure. All right. What's next? Next is uh, one of my favorite things. Whenever I see this in the movie, it makes me happy, which is a giant newspaper montage. Oh, um, and, uh, we've got like, a, a dude balancing his pith helmet on the top of his bayonet and 
And there are some there are some headlines. Would it surprise you to know that I wrote down some of these headlines? Well, this is the first time I've ever um, been able to stop them as they go by. Because usually, I mean, I don't read very fast. So usually I'm just watching them and kind of like catching some of the thing, the little clips, but I've never been able to read them all before. Were there Which any, ones stood out to you? Were there any fun ones that you noticed? I've got, I think the best one is officials clamp lid on Sunday burlesque threaten action. <laughs> That's great. But even more than that, there, there's actually like if you if you read all of these headlines in a row and they sort of there, that's what goes in the middle of our our fabulous montage that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, there's somebody decided somebody in the in the props department decided to like create their own little movie within a movie. So here are these headlines. I would just read them to you in order. The first one is building code under fire. And then top stars in complaint over plan limiting MWP building to materials. Oh. And then many managers complain over plan protest limiting MWP building. Huh. And then my, the, my favorite thing is like then the very next time they show newspapers, it's the same exact headlines. This one says vaudeville stars donate talent at annual charity dance. But, oh, I thought it was at animal charity dance when I first read it. <laughs> it was a lot more funny. <laughs> Do you imagine that that's a charity that's supporting teaching animals how to dance? Or yeah, is it a I dance supporting a charity designed to help animals? But this one, Wallace and Davis smash biz in better bistros. Like <laughs> Also, Wallace Davis act boffo. Boffo. It's boffo. Yeah, that's uh, great. There, there's a lot of fun things happen in there. It's nice to be able to stop and read them. We do get, um, then we we do get this fabulous scene. Uh, If if we skip past the whole montage, because we're going to talk about it later, we do get to another one of our scenes that I feel like we quote back to each other more maybe than any other, which is, can you do it again for us? Mutual, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) That line is always funny. I also like her next line. Do you remember what that one is? Well, I'll be, what is no, it? No, no. I wrote it down. She goes, well, how do you like that oh, without right. so much of it's a kiss my foot or have an apple? <laughs> or have an apple. That is. It, it's, Man, it's, she's fantastic. It's something else. Yeah. Um, There's so much that happens in this movie in the first 20 minutes. Like, Well, the first, we, this 10-minute chunk appears to last for like approximately five years yeah it really does they go from a you know like the war through their career together and you know they're well established by the time they get um this invitation to come down and do the the florida thing they've even decided what they're doing for the holiday plans right they're laying off their whole crew Before we get to Florida, can we talk a little bit about this uh, fabulous scene in the dressing room? Sure. When they have their big fight. They do. They have a, well, would you call it a fight? They're airing some, some deep emotional baggage. That's true. That's true. Maybe it's not a fight, but they're being um, very honest with each other about the pace of the career that they're embarking on together and also their kind of emotional uh relationships with other people wow marcy 
never I, heard you, I never heard you open up like that before. It's a big moment for these two guys. <laughs> you know, you were like being thing... Cros- you were like being Crosby just then. You got all serious about uh, with us on the podcast. Here. Um, there's there's a lot of things in this movie that I look for every single year, and um, I <laughs> it's silly, but Bing Crosby has to take off all his clothes except for his underwear in this in this scene, right? And are you including his undershirt? His un his, no, not he his, keeps undershirt. his undershirt on. But he he tries to use the dressing cabinet as a blocker for his body and does not do it successfully at one point, and you get to see his drawers. You don't think he's trying to show off his manly physique? No. <laughs> oh. I my favorite part of this whole scene is the way that they have it's like a dance routine the, they what, the way they they choreograph their clothes yeah. it, it's like it's like you can tell they've done this approximately 500 times before and they have it down to like to to the to the microsecond yeah like this is how they pack up after a show they have their their outfits that they've worn on stage and some things need to go in this case some things need to go in that case and we've got to wash some other things it's fantastic you can also tell like in the way that they go back and forth with each other, that they have been doing this for some time together because they have a rapport and they have like a physical comfort with each other when they're even just packing up their stuff. I also like, come on, how long are their short, those shirts, Roger? Like, have you ever in your lifetime? <laughs> That's a style. I, I do not remember even with my dad ever seeing. So Ben Crosby has this, this button down shirt on. And I mean, I have a lot of button down shirts, but none of them have fronts and backs that are easily six inches longer than the sides. And also the waist height on these pants is so high. That seems totally on brand for people that are this age. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's gotta be like at least three, four inches above where you wear your pants nowadays. And so they have both incredibly long shirts and incredibly long high high pants they must have saved so much money in fabric when the fashion changed because then they could like save an extra foot off of each shirt when they're making it it's crazy i don't have that much to say about the particular dialogue between them uh do you want to like do you want to take sides in this argument like whose side are you on are you on phil's side that's danny k or bob's side well, I think Phil is acknowledging that there needs to be more to life than pursuing this career. However, Phil's the one that yep. wanted this in the start. So it's an interesting thing where it's like, you know, he wanted to be in this business, but now he's in this business and they're super successful. And he's realizing, well, maybe there's a little bit more to life that could be explored. But we learn later that. Phil is also kind of not ready to settle down himself. So really he just wants maybe something a little different for his friend. Which... He wants the ability to go explore his hedonistic lifestyle. So he's yeah. getting, he, Phil's kind of a micromanager. You think so? Well, I mean, he's the one that got their music act up and running. He's the one that wants to try to hook up Bob with Betty. Like he's mm. really, he's really the agent that makes the plot of this movie go. Yeah. Which is which is odd considering the fact that he's just generally so incompetent at everything. Well, I think it's I think, you know, like finding a little bit of love is not a bad thing for anybody. No, well, hey, certainly I agree with that hundred percent. 
Um, speaking of love, are you ready to go down to Florida? Oh, I am. So you have talked about this. I, I think you even talked about this on on our Roadhouse podcast. So since you're a fashion consultant, do you want to do 30 seconds on the lady in that sparkly blue dress? <laughs> so this, this is at like minute one, uh, 901 on yep. our 10-minute yep. chunk. And she's just sitting there. She just sits there the whole time and drinks a little drink. And I think for me, I've always noticed her as being like a prop. You know, she is. How is that different from any of the other extras? It's not, but she's just so front and center showing this gorgeous leg with this pointed toe. And it's like between her and the fish tank that they pan to next, it's like these are the two things that are that are really going to introduce us to the class of this area right now. But where is there a fish tank? What fish tank? Are you talking? Oh, oh, the fish tank is before. That's the very oh, first before, thing we see. Yeah. That is a gnarly fish tank. It is disgusting. I don't know who was in charge of animal welfare. Obviously, not the person organizing that animal animal dance benefit. Um, yeah, right. Someone needs to call the algae cleaner on that on that aquarium stat. But Roger, this is another fantastic soundstage set. Yes. Because at the fish tank, you can see that there this is an open air bistro let's call it a bistro okay because it is open to the palm trees we there are just walls so just out of curiosity what, just walls. What, what does novellos do when it rains which spoiler alert it does in florida every afternoon every every afternoon it's um it's fantastic i love novellas so much and there's palm trees in the those are are those those aren't actual palm trees right that's just a no, backdrop it's that be they painted. painted yeah that's fantastic but i love it i love how like i growing up i always would look at that and be like how does her foot stay in that high heel like that and she was always a curiosity to me if we were doing she, if we were doing crowd surfing on this podcast she would have been our your crowd surfing she's my number one movie. every time for sure um yeah this seems like um a place that you and i would really like to go sometime roger to novellos why is that don't so you we think can, so we can dance the foxtrot well maybe not the foxtrot but like to have a place where you go out and you get to sit down at a table maybe eat dinner and then do some dancing and watch people dance i think it seems very nice i agree all right. So the last, I guess the last part of this section of the movie is going to take place in Betty and Judy's dressing room. So this is our first introduction to the Haynes sisters. I have to say, I have, I have questions about Mr. Novello. Um, first off, he is definitely Captain Exposition. Like <laughs> his job is to come in and like explain to us what's about to happen. Yeah. My question is like, he owns this club. Why does he care so much about the success of his floor act? Well, maybe he just doesn't want police officers coming in in the middle of his floor act and embarrassing his club. No, but he's coming in and he's like explaining to Betty and Judy that Bob and Phil are here and how big a deal this is for oh. them. Like, why does he even care? Like, this is like if we were going back to Roadhouse, like if if everything works out the way that they want it to, he's going to lose his floor act. Is he like some secret manager, Aren't business they, manager no, for them on the side? They were planning to leave anyway. Oh, so that's true. 
maybe this is just a case of a man feeling like he is um, kind of like dadding them or protecting them or it's a being, little bit of that being in some way like, um, yeah, overseeing these two women in a inappropriately fatherly way. What are your first impressions of both Betty and Judy in these minutes? Because this is the first time we get to meet them. Well, I mean, there there are a lot of, um, you know, we've got thoughts about the hair and how the hair does or does not move. I mean, that has always been a thing for me. Um, Judy is, you know, they're in these dressing robes and in about two and a half seconds, they're going to be on stage. So I don't know how they're going to do that in the time period that they have. Well, they're not going to show that in the 1950s. No. Um, I also really like Betty. Betty is the Rosemary, Rosemary Clooney. Clooney. Yeah. Um, I really like how she does her little um, prop change around as she's trying to kind of like deceive her sister about how these people have come to be there. Like Wait, she's doing Ju her ironing board. No, Judy is the person who's doing the deceiving here. Judy yeah, is very Judy, Ellen. sorry. I've, I've watched this for like three Marcy, years would, of my would, life. And would I you still, like me to I need the you, laminated Would card. you like me to make you a laminated card with the names God, of our cast members? It's terrible, Rod. It's okay. Okay. So Judy? I've always thought that Judy and Betty are very much sort of like they're designed to be analogs for Phil and Bob. Like Judy, so so the Vera Allen yes. character is supposed to be sort of like your Danny Kay character. Yeah. She's kind of like, she's very earnest. She's, she's kind more of, physically capable. She's not always very like sensible about how she approaches things. Like mm -hmm. she's got this harebrained scheme designed to get these famous people to come and look at their act. Whereas you get the sense from Betty that she's much more of kind of the serious, uh, thoughtful person like Bob, mm -hmm. which makes sense. I mean, that's why the two of them, you know, that's why they end up getting paired off like that. Yeah. But I love what she does with all those props and how she's trying to evade the question. And, and, uh, yeah. The oh, yeah. There's the, character is... the... Go ahead. there's the ironing board. There's the flowers that she rearranges for no particular oh, reason. There's when she pours the coffee, it's like one of these um uh like fake pour things. Oh yeah? Yeah. If you watch it, it she doesn't actually like pour coffee into there or something like that. It's like prop pour. The only thing I don't understand this in this scene, and I, I wrote it down because I, I still don't understand it, is like um, you know, there's this whole mother hen bit, and it actually comes back later in the movie when Betty decides to leave. Like, mm -hmm. in this scene, Judy says that she's going to be the mother hen, which doesn't make any sense at all, because clearly, like, Betty is the mother hen in this scenario. Mm -hmm. um, and they, like, flip-flop, like, in the course of about 15 seconds. Yeah. I mean, of the two, you would agree that Betty is... Clear, like Rosemary Clooney's character is clearly yeah. the mother hen of these two. Like yeah. don't, she, she, I think she's the older sister. Don't you think? I don't know. It's so hard to tell. I, I mean, just in terms of the personality and the way that they carry themselves, yeah. it seems to me like she's the older sister. But I thought that the Rosemary Clooney character is supposed to be the younger sister. What would make you think that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we'll talk. We're going to talk about Rosemary Clooney and Vera Allen in the next two episodes. I don't remember even which one is technically older. I don't think it really matters. I mean, they both, are, I think, are more or less around the same age. I've always thought that Betty was older and yeah. that she's clearly the mother hen, just in terms of the way she acts. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. You got anything else before we talk about the fabulous music in this episode? No. Go ahead. We do have some music. Um, I just have a couple of notes about these. And then, so I know you said there's no singing in this uh, chunk, which is, that's, that's, that's slanderous, Marcy. There's lots ah. of singing in this. So we just, we just don't get more than about 15 seconds of any song. Yeah. Um, so what I propose we do is we sort of lump them all together into one big montage. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is that great, but just, just to document it, since this is a journalistic effort here. Um, there's three songs in this mm-hmm. episode. The first one is called High Hup. I do not like High Hup. <laughs> I, don't like, going, <laughs> I don't like that either. Um, and the next, <laughs> the next one, I have no information about that one. Um, the next one is called Heat Wave. Yes. Um, which, uh, according to the internet, was written by Irving Berlin in 1933. It's almost 20 years before this movie came out for a musical called As Thousands Cheer. That's the one where they go, you know, like, heat wave, we're having a heat wave. That yeah. Um, for some reason, that song gets stuck in my head sometimes. And I must have more exposure to it. It doesn't get played again in this movie, right? I think it's kind of catchy. No, we're not yeah. going to hear any of these songs ever again, hopefully. Yeah. Well, um, she does mention play blue skies, anything. Wait, Just, who, who does? Rosemary Clooney when she's in the carousel club and she's got to go out and sing her. Um, really? Love you, oh, wait, didn't you ride by me? You're and she's saying, trying to tell her club owner, she wants play to Blue play... Skies. Really? Anything. Yeah. Really? So here is Blue Skies. At the, that's the yeah. third song, right? The third one is Blue Skies, which was written even earlier. That song was written by Irving Berlin in 1926. Yeah. This movie recycles. This is really like the Irving Berlin jukebox music, yeah. musical movie for another musical, a completely different musical called Betsy. So let me ask you a question. Out of these three fine entries, which is your favorite? Uh, the middle one, I think. Because, Heat wave? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Although, like, anything that brings me back to that um, carousel club scene <laughs> where <laughs> you're listening to her sing this song about her heart being broken and those guys are coming in and but out of the screen but, at her. But, but that's I mean, not the nice song. It's a nice reminder. It's a nice reminder. But the blue skies, anything, just play blue skies. I mean, blue skies does have probably the best dance number of all three in this minute. Yeah. It's the and one it's where they have those, those, those nice little canes. Then they do that thing where they wave them back and forth with their little straw hats. Yeah. I like I the I like the song Heat Wave best as well. I don't you know, like um these two guys in their duets are not my favorite combos in this movie. So is there an I don't is there any other song which where it's just the two of them in the rest of the movie? I, I don't think so. I don't think so, and that's a good thing. Because like <laughs> they're not baffo they're not baffo for me all right that's fine they're non-baffo who are you blaming for that because we're going to get to hear tell you what you know what let's wait we'll do that in in the last in the last episode 
we'll get a chance to sort of rank order who's singing performances we like the best. Um, so let's let's give each one of them because each one of them is going to have solo numbers um, or at least separate numbers uh, several more times. Oh, cool. But it's that time, Marcy. We do have to rate this montage on a scale from one to five chargers. Um, let's see. I went first last time, so I think you have to go first this time. Um, can you review what we have on our list so far? We've rated White Christmas and we've rated The Old Man the first time. Oh, right. And I said White Christmas, that version was pretty high for me. And the old man was not as high for me. Um, so I would you... put this at a one or can I, do a, can I do a 0.5? Can I do the rear end of my charger? Wow. That's your lowest score I yet. hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just like, that's just like demerits galore it's for you. done for me on that. I think you're being a little too harsh. I'm going to give this whole montage because I think there are some good parts. Here. I'm going to give it I also don't think it's good, but I'm going to give it a 1.5 because I think some of the scenes have some nice choreography. Um, okay, so with an at, with a score of 0.5 chargers for you and 1.5 chargers for me, that gives us an average score of one charger for the for the coming up montage, which very solidly puts it in third place for all the songs that we've done so far. Three out of three. That seems right. Third out of third three. Okay. Uh, okay, let's let's move on to our cast corner. Um, and we talked so we talked about Bing Crosby in the last episode. I think in this episode, it seems appropriate that we talk a little bit more about Danny Kay, who's our other male lead who plays Phil. Um, I've just got he's got a he has a more certainly a less famous but maybe more interesting career. Um, first thing is, unsurprisingly, that's not his real name. Um, he's actually Ukrainian. Um, he was born in 1911 in New York City. His his real name is David Daniel Kaminsky. Hmm. Um, he's a uh, child of immigrants uh, who moved from Ukraine. But uh, apparently, he when he was young, he ran away to Florida to become like a when uh, when he was a teenager. Wow! To become a musician. And then the story goes that he came back to New York City and did not get into show business. He apparently he held all of these odd jobs where he got fired most of the time. Hmm. Um, and the only story I have about that is his wife of, I think his only wife um, that he married was the daughter of a dentist that he worked for as a receptionist. Hmm. Um, who later so her name was Sylvia Fine. Um, she was actually his songwriter. She wrote most of the songs that he ended up performing. Um, what else about him? So, I mean... He, Did you say his wife was Sylvia Fine? Yes, that was her name. Oh, there, I just clicked on something that was saying... Have you what is it this? <laughs> it says, created by his wife, Sylvia Fine, Kay abandoned her in their home. She entertained at one end of their California house. He cooked Chinese with Tommy Lasorda and Prince Philip at the other. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about <laughs> what that. What am I reading? I, I'll tell you what. Hold on to that. Hold on to that nugget, and I'll connect it. I'll connect you back to it in a minute. Okay. Because um, because this that's I know he I know what they're Chinese. I know what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. All right. So. So he has all these dead-end jobs he's not any good at. Just like Bing Crosby, he sort of he comes up in vaudeville. 
which is where he adopts this uh, stage name that he's going to use for the rest of his life. Um, he spent a lot of time, um, you know, in sort of roles like these where he plays this slightly manic, kind of fast-talking, mm-hmm. very physical kind of comedic actor. Like, that's yeah. that's that's his lane, and that's mostly what he does. Um, just like Bing Crosby, he kind of got famous doing a radio show um, called the Danny Kay Hour um, in the mid-40s. And then he gets, uh, that's when he kind of gets into the movie business. Um, he's certainly, like, he's not as, um, not as prolific, prolific as either an actor or a musician as Bing Crosby. And Bing Crosby is like a Hall of Fame yeah. um, entertainer. Um, Danny Kaye has, uh, he's got 33 credits in the IMDb. Wow. Not as many, not even as many as I thought. Um, he did some television work. Uh, he had a television show that ran for four years in the 1960s. Um, and then (laughs) the, the other amusing fact, which I know you have some more information about was like, he is actually a very serious chef. Oh. And so at one point, he actually had a custom-built Chinese restaurant installed in the back of his house. What? So, like, you could go into the back of his house, and you would have, I guess, whatever kitchen and whatever setup you need to, like, cook gourmet Chinese food. Wow. That's incredible. Marcy, if you could design a custom-built restaurant and install it in the back of our house, what kind of restaurant would you, do, would you want? Wow, that's a lot. Um, I don't I don't know that I could pick. Um, you know what I would want is one of those giant flat griddles. You know, okay. like um the steel plate kind of thing. Like in a diner? Yeah, where you can cook like sixteen grilled cheeses at a time and then like with a pan or a heavy thing hold down a hamburger and then cook some bacon over in the other part. <laughs> That seems like a very <laughs> modest ambition. So you basically just want to be able to cook all the stuff you can cook right now. Yeah, you, I guess. You just, want, <laughs> you just want to be able to cook more of it. Maybe. Okay. What would you want, Roger? Uh, I, I think a Chinese restaurant. No, you know what? I mean, I guess. Because that's like fire. You're not going to want to have walk. You've seen it at the Golden Walk where they've got the walk there and then they move the walk and the fire leaps up towards you. Yes, but Marcy, this is a well-designed you know setup there's there's hoods and it would all be like set up so that you know there would be there would be no danger here i'm not worried about my house burning down this way (laughs) it's a little callback folks to our weekend conversation about burning leaves in the yard that's right like 10 Um, leaves at a time (laughs) out, out in the open it's all right. I live in a big wooden house. It's all right. All right. I only have the, so I have <laughs> sort of a, a sad fact. Um, so Danny Kay died in 1987 from hepatitis Ooh. that he contracted from a blood transfusion. Uh, poor guy. What a terrible way to go. That stinks. Um, they had one child. Um, he Can I was, just ask, like, 1985, was this like? 87. 87. That was not the height of the AIDS epidemic, was it? No, it's blowing up pretty good at that point. Do you think they were testing blood 
for bloodborne pathogens before? Not like they should have, no. I think this so is... So this before. is like right on the cusp of when they're learning that junk is in the blood and they got to test it. That's too bad. That is rough. Yeah. So there's our cast corner about Danny Kay. Um, just to wrap things up, it's time for us to talk about our turtle dove of the episode, Marcy. So this is episode two. So our turtle dove, our MVP of this chunk of the movie, um, who would you like to pick? Who is your MVP of these 10 minutes? So this is a turtle dove because it's our second day of Christmas. That's right. Every episode, we're going to name it for that day of the week. So we need two turtle doves? No, Do we have just, to come up with 12 best things? We're not going to know, Marcy, no. <laughs> we're just changing the name of the award. Well, what did we pick last time? Uh, I think we both picked Danny Kay. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick... Can I pick somebody that just charms me every time? Yes. Mutual, I'm sure. Like, that's I exact, have to. So that's exactly who I was going to pick. And so that's I great. will tell you, since I don't think we name-checked her... Does she um, have a name? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is... Um, wow. So, so you have picked, uh, I mean, she's listed She's listed in the credits as Doris Lentz, which I think makes sense, right? Because they call her Doris later. They refer to her by name. Oh. Um, she's uncredited. Um, so the character of Doris Lentz is played by a woman named Barry Chase, mm -hmm. uh, B-A-R-R-I-E. Um, she's actually a very famous dancer. Oh, like, I don't doubt it. Look at, at the time, body. at the time, she was a very famous dancer. But we never actually—I don't think we ever do. We get to see her dance. We must. But she's I, just, she's just she's yeah. just in. I mean, she, like, she's not highlighted. Or she's anything. in the ensemble, so I'm going to be on the lookout. I'm going to be on Barry Chase alert for the rest of the movie. She obviously has this this cute cameo. Look at um, this getup in this picture. What do you think she's dancing in in that one? <laughs> this she, is like the first image if you google search barry chase it looks like a tarzan outfit. that seems to be a very uh of the time but incredibly uh problematic not, not, problematic <laughs> depiction of her as uh, someone who lives in the jungle in the jungle see i have a picture of her performing here with fred astaire on an evening with fred yeah. astaire and Look she's dressed she's dressed in an evening gown Look at that pose with her body. She's she's very flexible. Like she's incredible. Um, these dancers are amazing. Like people that can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're gonna talk later on about uh, the the main male dancer in this movie, the only dancer who's credited, John Brascia. Um, he's the tap dancer who does that amazing tap dancing number with Fear Ellen. And I think I he was also the, the dance choreographer. So we'll talk about, wow. we'll talk more about dancers when we get to him. All right. Well, okay. that's exactly who I, who I was going to pick. So two more votes for the same person. Barry Chase is our turtle dove of episode two. Uh, what else? We you get any? to maybe, we get to maybe pick her one more time when we get to the holiday party. <laughs> that's right. She does come back in the holiday party because yeah. she, she's the one that they, pawn off uh uh bob's dance partner on. yeah yeah um or no no betty's dance partner on. <laughs> yeah that wouldn't make sense yeah so betty betty's dance partner gets hooked up with her so that they can hook him up with bet with uh, yeah. bob so she might get a total of two votes 
She might, although she's not, no, she's not as good in that episode as You're she right. is in this one. You're right. What else, Marcy? You got anything else? Nothing. Although I'm really happy that we did this right now because I feel very peppy about it. Me too. Thanks. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. We hope that you'll continue through until the end of our 12 Days of White Christmas, and you'll go back and listen to our first episode if you're joining us for the first time today. Please rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. See you next time. Bye. Bye.